podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Big Smash Cricket Podcast, powered by Rebel, the show all about the Big Bash and the women's Big Bash. I'm one of your hosts, Paul Dennett. I'm joined, as always, by Andrew Mensel. Menas, how are you? Paul, I'm really well. I had an amazing day yesterday at North Sydney Oval for the beginning carnival weekend of the Women's Big Bash League, and it was such a good day, I caught a fever. But not a traditional fever, a Big Bash fever. The the excitement of the T20 game is back. I just cannot wait for the Big Bash to continue the women's and the men's. Well, it's apt that you say that because we're going to begin the show with a discussion about the fact that not everyone is caught up with Big Bash Fever. We're also going to have a preview of the chances of this season of the Scorchers and the Hurricanes. Spoiler alert for Scorchers fans especially, a team that's always been successful, I'm going to predict that neither of those sides will make the semifinals. And we're going to discuss the Women's Big Bash, uh, a standalone weekend on free-to-air TV. Lot to talk about with women's cricket. But while you're there, take this opportunity, please, to subscribe to the show. So listeners, yes, search the Big Smash Cricket Podcast wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe right now so you can get the next show that's released. The shows are going to be coming out every Monday and Thursday. And if you haven't noticed, what Paul and I are going to do is we're going to take it in turns for hosting the shows. So today's Paul's turn to host the Big Smash Cricket Podcast. I'll be hosting the next one. I don't think there's any hiding the fact, Menas, that as much as the Big Bash has captured the attention, particularly of the younger generation in Australia... There are those people who not only aren't interested in it, but I think also look at it with some hostility. Would you agree with that? That's the case? Yeah, I think there is some element of contempt for the whole T20 cricket as a, as a product by some traditional cricket lovers who, who love just to watch the, the five-day game. And there's a fear, I think, that, that the, the Big Bash is going to encroach on the, on, on the success of Test cricket. And I think that that fear is completely unfounded, and I think the opposite is true, that the Big Bash is the best thing that's happened to Test cricket in this country, but we'll get on to that. First of all, I myself, when the Big Bash first began, was a tiny bit on the sceptical side. Now, there was the old interstate T20 competition, which I thought worked just fine. And when Cricket Australia switched it to the city format and came up with fancy new uniforms, uh, American-sounding names, I remember that that they sent out a mass email to everyone and just before the first season, and it said something along the lines of, how are you going to choose which team to support? Will it be their names? Will it be which players you like? Or will it be the team that has your favourite colours? And I remember thinking, come on, um, are you treating me like an eight-year-old? Look, I was totally in the same boat as you. In fact, I would go one step further. I saw it at the time of almost an insult to the history of cricket in this great country that, you know, by, say, abolishing the New South Wales T20 side and bringing in the Sixers and the Thunder, they were turning their back on the history of cricket and the history of New South Wales cricket. You know, you had Bradburn pull on the baggy blue once and now all of a sudden that's been shelled for this glitzy franchise format. So I was very sceptical, Paul, and I wasn't a big fan. I went to my first game at the SCG. I was impressed by the size of the crowd. And I was sitting there, and after one of the first overs, the ground announcer said, All right, everyone, it's time to dance. We're playing the dancing music. Who's going to dance? And I remember thinking, oh, you poor fool. No one's going to dance. And then to my amazement, 95% of the crowd suddenly jumped up and started dancing, and I realized why. There were kids everywhere. There were families. There were teenagers. There were older kids. There were younger kids, and they were dancing for the sheer joy of it. 
and I had my epiphany. At that moment, I suddenly became instantly a huge fan of the concept. Look, I think I'm in the same boat, but there are some elements to it that I guess uh, do alienate some of the regional areas of each state. How do you feel about that, Paul? The fact that, you know, you've got the Brisbane heat, it's not the Queensland heat. So if you're someone from the regional area of Queensland, you might feel alienated, or, or it's the Perth scorches. It's very much city orientated doesn't it take into account the whole state i've heard from people that are not from sydney that they find it hard to support the sydney teams i think it's a fair point and i think it's a point that cricket australia would concede and say yep that's that's spot on and but i think that the good has outweighed that and the good is that cricket australia famously did a survey a few years ago and i think it was boys aged 7 to 14 came up with cricket as their number 7 sport and girls of the same age came up with cricket as their number 14 sport. Cricket's always had a battle to get the new generation on board, and it seemed as though it was starting to lose that battle in this country. As I'm sure it did many years ago, the battle's long since lost in England. But Cricket Australia did something about it, and that's why I don't mind that the competition began in a very contrived way. They basically got marketing experts from America in and turned the keys over to them and said, listen, we need something to succeed make it a success. And so the magenta, the the scorchers, the the all of the, the, the crazy names, the city-based teams and everything else are what is making that success and it's driving the kids' involvement. They don't care that it's contrived, that it's that it's not traditional. They just want to have fun. And a certain level of professionalism has come into the T twenty game at domestic level that we hadn't seen before. You go back to the old T twenty state based comp I remember that New South Wales drafted in a former rugby league player to just appear in a couple of games. Now, can you imagine the outcry now in the, in the T20 side if they rung in some, not a cricketer, just to, for publicity? There'd be a huge public outcry. So things have really ramped up in terms of professionalism and the way we approach the comp. Absolutely. I mean, Andrew John's coming into the into the competition it was only seven or eight years ago. At the time, it was a great gimmick. It was like, wow, we'll get a, a famous player from another sport in. Everyone will tune in to see what would happen. The beauty, beauty of it is now, it doesn't need that. Now, with um, 29,000 people turning up to, average, to an average game last season, it's way beyond that level. And as you say, it would be ridiculous if that happened now. And just going back a bit to one of your points you talked about when you didn't you re- when you resisted the urge to get up and wiggy, wiggle and boogie at the cricket, I can tell you I have two young children and they loved that dancing, the annoying whistles where they go, you know, they let out a, a cooey and everyone has to reply to it. You know, for, for us, maybe it's not what we'd consider important to a night at the cricket, but my kids loved it and they were like, when can we go to the Big Bash again? Well, that's the thing that I, when I was a kid, I went to my first game at about seven. And I was a big cricket fan already, but my parents had to kind of prepare me. My dad had to say, listen, it's a one day. We're going to be sitting for seven hours. It's going to be hard work. You've got to be kind of um, good enough to get through it. That's gone out the window. You can just take the kids along and know that they're going to have fun. Whereas that back in the day, cricket was very much the, you know, the acquired taste. So it leads me on to the point of people who are afraid that this generation are going to get into the big bash, but will abandon test cricket. And I just, I can't see how that's the case. I think it's like saying, oh, I hate Harry Potter. You know, kids are reading Harry Potter rather rather than reading Dickens. No, I think that Harry Potter means that kids are reading books again. Um, They were never going to read Dickens to begin with. Now, it's the same here. The kids who now get interested in the Big Bash are not lost to test cricket. 
they will either get into test cricket or they were, they were kids who would never have got into any form of cricket, in my opinion. I agree. It's a fair point. And I'm amazed at how you're able to weave in Harry Potter to a Big Bash podcast. So congratulations on that analogy. Yeah, look, I agree. And Cricket Australia always talks about the Big Bash being the shop front. So there are going to be an element of people that don't follow on and love test cricket. But there are also going to be that that section of the the supporters that just become absolute cricket devotees as I did when I would turn on the World Series many years ago and see the coloured clothing and the magic under lights and it just makes you love the game even more. Me too. I got into test cricket because of one day cricket and I think that lots of young kids today, kids who were at the Adelaide Oval last summer when Travis Head hit an amazing century, when Travis Head um, eventually plays Test cricket for Australia, or even now when he's playing One Day cricket for Australia, those kids will have someone to follow and someone to be interested in in a way that they wouldn't have had without the without the Big Bash. And look, you're totally right, Paul. And the, the drama of the games will continue to fuel this growth. I mean, the actual package itself, the the nature of being able to sit down and watch a, a game from beginning to end in one evening with a, a dramatic finish. I think it's great for kids and great for everybody. Yep, and the gimmicks are receding. The, the standard competition's improved year by year. This year will be no different. Now, quick pause for a word from our sponsor, Rebel. There's something for everyone this Christmas at Rebel with 30% off all trampolines and 30% off all table tennis tables. Give the perfect gift every time with a Rebel gift card. Rebel Christmas HQ. Shop in store and online today. Welcome back to the Big Smash Cricket Podcast. And now we're, we're going to preview two of the teams as we've been doing each episode. Today, it's the Perth Scorchers and the Hobart Hurricanes. First of all, with the Scorchers, Menas, they're the heart and soul of the competition, aren't they? Well, that's a big call. The heart and soul of the competition. I think they have had unprecedented levels of success, but it's it's hard to call them the heart and soul of the competition when you had 80,000 people turning up to the MCG for the derby. So, yeah, I wouldn't agree they're the heart and soul of the competition, but certainly been one of the best-performed teams historically. Yeah, and look, obviously, Adelaide are getting enormous crowds regularly, um, and and Melbourne as well, but Melbourne Stars as well, uh, but... I just think that it's it's caught on in Perth in a way that there's a um, a really healthy parochialism the wrong word but a real love of the Perth Scorchers maybe that that exceeds that of other teams. I think that look I think that is being mimicked across the country and we're going to preview the Hurricanes after this and they're a side that I think fall into the same boat as the Scorchers. They get pretty poor crowds to their Test cricket but when the Hurricanes are playing you can't get a seat in uh, the arena down there so. I think the the Scorchers haven't been any more embraced than other parts of the country. Here's a question for you. What ground? What is their home ground, the Scorchers? It's called the Furnace, Paul, and I find this question a little bit insulting. I haven't been living on Mars the last three years. They play at the Wacker, but it's affectionately called the Furnace. And every piece of marketing material, every other ground is known by its traditional name, but... Um, for the Wacker, it's called the Furnace. And I wonder if that'll be the name given in a couple of years' time when they go to the new Perth Stadium. How good will that be? 60,000 people. I think they'll sell it out when they get it. Look, they'll go close. I think they'll have to add a sponsor's name in. It'll be the Furnace Buy and then add a bank or a, a big company. All right. Now, in terms of how they're going to go this year, their, their record is is excellent. They've come second, second, first, first, and then a semi-finalist last season. This season, I'm tipping that they're not going to make the semi-finals. Do you agree with me, Menace? Look, I'm not willing to go that far. 
I think that they have a, a strong squad and the potential in their squad is certainly to make the semi-finals and give the final a shake. Now, one of the concerns I've got is looking at their top order, you've got players like um, Ian Bell from England, Klinger, Marsh, Voges and Bancroft. Now, Bancroft's the exception there, but the rest of them are a bit on the old side and there's not enough power hitting there to, to really excite me. They're all solid players. Last season, though, their strike rates of those those key players were, were well down the list compared to a lot of the other key players in the tournament. I'm just not sure that they've got the power to, to go so far this time around. Well, Mitch Marsh brings an element of power down the order. Then you've got Mitchell Johnson, who brings some power hitting to go with his fast bowling. I think you're underselling Michael Klinger's ability at the top of the order to, to shape a T20 innings. He's an exceptional T20 performer, both here and in England. So I think he's one that could surprise you. And then the other one is Sean Marsh. He's a very good player at domestic level, has the ability to dominate domestic attacks and I think you're underselling the talent there and then you put in Don Bradman Voges um, coming in down the order Cameron Bancroft pu- pushing for test selection I think the lineup's pretty good Mitchell Johnson's the interesting point when he dominated the ashes of 2013-14 it was after a long layoff and he came back refreshed and rejuvenated then constant cricket kind of wore him down and he retired at the end of midway through last summer so the question is what will this layoff have done to him? Will it have um, freshened him up, or is he already starting to slip into um, the full retired life? What do, what do you reckon? I think we're going to see a refreshed, excited, energetic Mitchell Johnson. It's a, I mean, a great gig for a former sportsman. He's just got to get up and bowl four quick overs and come out and tonk the ball around. I think this tournament will invigorate him. We saw his sort of lack of excitement over the test pitches when he retired, but I think this big bash nature of the competition will really suit his game. Now, a lot of people would be concerned by the fact that the moustache is gone. A lot of people gave a lot of credit to his bowling to the moustache, but he seems a new, relaxed Mitchell Johnson. His quote is, I just want to be the fun Mitch. I don't want to be the mo and the angry, aggressive Mitch. So... Um, we shall see. I hope that he comes back as the absolute, um, you know, the Mitchell Johnson that we know and love. Yeah, look, I agree. There's another fast bowler I want to talk about, Nathan Coulter-Nile. He's had a lot of injury problems. If he manages to play some games for the Scorchers, he's dynamite, has the same package as Mitchell Johnson, can bowl quick and can hit the ball a long way. My only concern there, and I, I harp on as about they call this. call him NCN. NCN. My, my harping on about this is that I think there's too much emphasis placed on pace in, in this country, and I think Nathan coulton is a classic example of that. If he just toned it down five kilometres an hour and had it within him every now and again to, to really burn one in, I think he'd be a, a better bowler. But the big loss that they've had, of course, is Brad Hogg moving across the country, the fans' favourite. How much of a loss is he going to be? I think he's going to be a big loss, and I think Justin Langer could rue pushing Brad Hogg out of the the Scorchers set up. And my understanding was uh, Justin Lange intimated to Brad Hogg that his time was almost up at the the Big Bash level and couldn't give him assurances about playing this season. So Hoggy sought uh, el- a contract elsewhere and has moved across to the Renegades. And I think the Scorchers will miss one of their heroes. I agree. And looking at last summer, he only took six wickets in the Big Bash, but still his economy rate was 7.02. That was the Scorchers' second best. I really think they're going to miss him. But they've kind of got a, re- a replacement potentially, and this is one from, from left field, James Muirhead. Do you remember him, Menis? Yeah, he played for Australia. Young Leggy burst onto the scene and 
you know, in this country's endless quest for a new Shane Warne, the thing that he had that a lot of them don't have is that he genuinely seemed to um, rip the leg break, came into the side and then has faded away with an injury. Last winter, this winter that's just gone, he's played in the Lancashire League in England. So it's a big, big call to come from the Lancashire League, which is the level below county cricket, to, to dominate at the Big Bash. He got the second most wickets for his Lancashire League club, Greenfield CC. Yeah, I reckon there's a higher standard of cricket down the road here at my local oval than Greenfield CC. Yeah, I'm not sure about James Muirhead. We've seen leg spinners dominate at Big Bash level, but I think it'll be a little bit too much for him. He's got as many revs on it as Shane Warne had on it, is the quote from Brad Hogg, who's a bit of his mentor. So we shall see. So... Overall, look, I hope I'm proved wrong because I have a real soft spot for the Scorchers, but I'm going to tip that they're going to make the semifinals. Uh, they're not going to make the semifinals. Now to the Hobart Hurricanes. Semifinal in the first season, then sixth, second, fifth, and seventh. This season, geez, it's, it's hard to see them doing too much. What do you think? I agree, but I think that they're one of those teams that could go either way because of the fervor they generate in their hometown. When you get those small towns getting behind one side... I think it does something to the morale of the team when you go down to get your milk in the morning everybody's giving you a pat on the back not like in Sydney where the cricketers go down to get a milk and no one recognise them when you're playing in those small cities I think you can, they can really get behind you but I think I want to applaud the Hurricanes for bringing in a villain for summer because every summer needs a villain and Stuart Broad is fronting up for the Hurricanes Yeah, I think it's fantastic and uh, I think he could actually play quite well for them he's got a point to prove Really? Absolutely. He's got a point to prove. He's been left out of the England um, one-day squad, and he wants to get back in for the World Cup. He's a tall, very, very handy bowler. Can hit the. His batting's sort of slipped away a little bit, but I think in T20 cricket, where you're just out there, out there to slog, he's got good hand-eye coordination. I wouldn't want to face him at Bell Reef. I think he could be a little bit of a, a bad signing for... The Hurricanes hasn't had success for England with the white ball, struggling with the bat. He's a shadow of his former self with the bat. So, yeah, I'm not expecting too much from Stuart Fraud. The other big name that they've got is Kumar Sangakara, one of the all-time greats of the game. And last season, he really had a disappointing season with the bat. He's 39 years old now. He only scored 105 runs from eight innings at an average of 13. I mean, it's hard to say that someone as wonderful as Kumar Sangakara shouldn't be in the side, but... Would you have re-signed him? Absolutely, I would. And I think he will have a bounce-back season. I can't imagine a player of his immense talent and experience can have two seasons in a row like he had last year. We're going to talk about it in another episode coming up, um, but that Northamptonshire, which is the most sort of has had been one of the more unsuccessful sides in England, has adopted a moneyball approach to T20 cricket and signed some obscure players from various different parts of the world. Well, um, with Insangakara. The, the, the Hurricanes have gone the opposite direction from that. But in Simon Malenko, they've gone very much in that direction. Now, he's one for the Battlers. He's a 28-year-old from Queensland. In his entire career, he's just played 26 total games across all three formats. So Shield, Matador Cup, and Big Bash. I think he's quit his job. He's gone down to Hobart to try to make it, make it at the Big Bash level. I, for one, am going to be cheering him on. Menas, rags to riches story. Uh, I'm a big fan of Malenko. From you, what you've told me about him, I love these type of stories. A player on the outside, living a normal life. And this is what the Big Bash is about. For that very short period every year, you get these state cricketers, these state battlers thrust into the spotlight. And, and Malenko is just an example of that. How about George Bailey? Now, it's kind of like a, a balancing act that if you're a diehard sca- fan of the Hurricanes, you kind of need him to be 
playing poorly enough to be dropped from the Australian side, but still playing well enough to dominate the, the BBL. What do you think we can expect from Bailey? Either way, he's available for at least the first half of the comp. If he's in the ODI side, he won't be. He is a big bash pro. He's a big hitter. I don't think his weird technique affects his T20 game. I'm expecting big things from George Bailey. I hope so, and I'd love it if he could use the big bash to catapult himself into Australian reckoning for the upcoming series in in India. I remember last year, Bailey hit one phenomenal six that was like a home run in baseball to end an innings or a game. He's a bit of a T20 star, George Bailey. Absolutely agree. And just lastly, we've got Ben McDermott, son of Craig, brother of Alistair, six foot three. You'd think, oh, he'll be a quick bowler, but he's a wicketkeeper. He's going to be playing for the Hurricanes as well. Another one to watch out for. And one of our old favourites, Sean Potato Tate, is back for the Hurricanes. Looking forward to seeing him steam in with his mixture of Yorkers and bouncers. Yeah, he's absolutely A-grade for enter- entertainment because he's quick, he's crazy, and often he goes for a lot of runs. Um, he, he had a pretty good season last time around. Another one I wouldn't be picking, but I'm happy to be proven wrong. After the break, when we have a, another word from Rebel, we're going to be back to review all that happened in the WBBL on the weekend. There's something for everyone this Christmas at Rebel with 30% off all bodyboards and surfboards and 30% off all pool inflatables. Give the perfect gift every time with a Rebel gift card. Rebel Christmas HQ. Shop in store and online today. Welcome back to the Big Smash Cricket Podcast. Now, there are three big talking points about the WBBL. The TV ratings, the live experience and the pay for the players. Now, firstly, this would have been unthinkable in years gone by for for a, a women's cricket game to anchor a weekend, but it did, and a fair degree of success, pretty good ratings. I would say not a fair degree of success, a stellar success. They got 685,000 viewers on Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, which is a strong figure. Meg Lanning and Emma Inglis started along, rocketing along for the stars early on. Harmanpreet Kaur, the Indian international, almost got the thunder across the line at the end. She scored 47 not out from 28 balls. Got it to them needing only nine from two, but couldn't quite get them over the line. The only quibble I've got was nothing to do with the women's game, but the coverage was that every second over, the umpire's head was almost in the way of the ball. I think that when you're, you're gonna... calling for higher scaffolding, I am you? calling for higher scaffolding. My first higher scaffolding call of the um, of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on now to the live experience that we had yesterday, Paul, because I was, as I said before, and it's genuinely swept up in the vibe yesterday at the WBBL at North Sydney Oval. You had two back-to-back games. You had a thrilling standard of cricket throughout the day. But not only that, you add to the, the crowd that was in there, and there was a few thousand people. There was a real festival atmosphere, and it was it was just heartwarming to, to see the women's game create so much excitement among the kids and the supporters. And then when the players came off, there was queues of people to get their autographs, and I just think it was a great ad for cricket in this country. And you were amongst those fans, Menas, at the end of the game, and you actually spoke to Elise Perry, and you asked her what she thought of the opening weekend. Um, there's been some incredibly high-quality cricket. I thought the game last night um, showcased that excellently. Um, again, today, I thought it was a really great game. So, you know, to be able to do that, to put that on, on display, um, you know, I think all the players should really take a lot of credit for that. And similarly, you know, Cricket Australia and all the state associations for, you know, their um, investment and initiative in, in this tournament. Um, you know, it's a preeminent women's T20 competition in the world. It attract, attracts the best players um, and as a result, we've really got a really great product. So in light of the uh, successful performance of the Women's Big Bash on TV as a ratings, as a ratings proposition, there was some talk about whether the pay for women's cricketers should be increased. And James Sutherland, the CEO of Cricket Australia, 
we've got a, a couple of quotes here from the Sydney Morning Herald. But Sutherland said some women playing in the WBBL may not want to become full-time professional cricketers because they'd already developed their careers in other fields and were enjoying doing both. A woman in their mid to late 20s, he said, and they've studied and they've got a career. If you do go to a full-time professional situation for them, it's one or the other. Now, I don't want to be too critical of Cricket Australia because they've invented this WBBL and it's, it's been a wonderful success. But I find that quote almost a parody to say, oh, we don't want to pay you too much because it might make you sad and have to make a choice. I think the women would say, well, we deserve the money. Let us make the choices for ourselves. What do you think, Manners? Well, I've never heard anyone say that they're being paid too much. Uh, in the past, just generally, you never anyone says that. So that's the first thing. But broadly, to your point, I think that uh, look, Sutherland was made some ill-advised quotes there. I think they should be paying the WBBL players more. We were talking yesterday, and you put up the scenario that if they were to double everyone's pay in the WBBL, it wouldn't cost Cricket Australia that much, but would probably significantly change the situation of those players. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair to them, they have increased the the minimum pay significantly, but it's from a very low base. Last year, minimum pay was $3,000 for the whole WBBL as a base pay. This year, it's gone to $7,000 with a a maximum of $15,000. If you were to double it, it would probably cost Cricket Australia an extra million dollars, which I think they could just rummage behind the couch at Jollymont and their headquarters in Melbourne and find that loose change and afford to pay it. They could probably triple the players' pay, and it would have a lot of flow-on effects, not just increasing standard and not just increasing... The, the fact that young girls who might otherwise give away cricket would think, well, there's a, a potential for a career here. But I think it would ultimately br- produce more fans for the men's game as well. If I was a woman, I would feel a little bit disenfranchised by the fact that cricket has endlessly been a bit of a, a, an old boys club. And even if I liked the game, I might think, yeah, they don't really want me. I'll, I'll watch something else. But if I could suddenly see that women were getting paid, not just an okay amount, but a, a better than that, I'd be more inclined to embrace the overall sport. Yeah, look, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think as well, just giving that extra money would allow them to practice more, train more, would see an increase in standards, which would just be great for the women's game. If you haven't, if you haven't been to a WBBL game or watched one on TV, um, and I know there is some scepticism out there, uh, as Molly Meldrum used to say, do yourself a favour and actually have a look, and I think you'll be impressed by what you see. Yeah, I'm hooked, Paul. And yesterday, the, uh, the Brisbane Heat were down and out against the Sixers, and then we saw some power hitting by their batsmen to get them over the line. It was as thrilling a finish to any game of cricket I've seen this year. Well, that wraps up our second episode. We look forward to speaking to you on Thursday. And don't forget to subscribe to the Big Smash Cricket Podcast, where you get your podcasts from. There's something for everyone this Christmas at Rebel. Rebel Active members buy one, get one half price across the massive clothing range from Nike, Adidas, Under Armour and more. That's buy one, get one half price for Rebel Active members only. Offer ends Christmas Eve, in-store only. Terms, conditions and exclusions apply. Podcast Network.